0: Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Welcome to the show today. So happy to see everybody here in our YouTube chat room. Happy to have everybody that's watching uh, later and listening later on our podcast Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for your love for liberty first. Yay! I'm a little hoarse, we've, um, no, not actually, you know, (laughs) my voice is a little crackly because we, um, we had a whole lot of fun last week, and we got a whole lot of tired, and today is the rest day, so everybody's resting, JC's not with us today, but he sends his love, and I want to talk to you today about some important things. Uh, I want to talk to you about an important (laughs) T-shirt. Just kidding. I'm wearing my uh, Thomas Jefferson Despises Fake News T-shirt. Hey, if you guys don't know how to get those, you can get those at chrisannhall.com. We have an amazing gun shirt. This is all our Liberty First gear. And uh, JC tells me he has new T-shirts on the way. Woo, woo, woo right and so we have the gun t-shirt we've got the got liberty t-shirt we've got lots and lots of gear that's available for you and you can look you can we even see have fake news coffee mugs right fake news phone covers and all kinds of crazy stuff you can get uh hoodies and 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 cool stuff and i'm i'm down in the the jefferson hates despises fake news t-shirt today and so I'm pretty excited. Um, I'm just happy to be here. I'm always glad to be back on a Monday. We have a weekend away from the radio show. I don't say a weekend off because, you know, we're always working. But how many of you have been catching the new shorts uh, videos that I've been posting up on YouTube? Uh, I've been taking clips from the Daily Journal, uh, you know, just sort of little particular rants or particularly educational. Uh, pieces and putting them into little shorts of ten minutes or less. So uh, We've been getting some pretty good feedback on those and I'd love to hear your take on it. especially of those guys uh, Those of you in our in our chat room right now on YouTube remember we are Generally speaking trying to be live Monday through Friday at 6 p.m but because we uh, don't have we don't have a regular radio schedule but we do have a we have speaking schedules going on sometimes we can't come Monday through Friday but you can look for us if you hey if you're in the chat room right now and you don't want to or you're watching YouTube right now and you don't want to miss another one make sure that you not only while you're there hit the like button but also hit subscribe and then and then click the bell because if you click the bell then you will get notices when we go live and when we go live I always try to do about a two, you know, one and a half, two minute buffer, so that everybody gets their notice and they got time to come over and watch live. But um, we uh, thank you, Laura. Laura loves our rants, uh, our little shorts. Hey, and again, uh, make sure uh, that you go in and you like it, like the, the show. It uh, it really really uh, messes with the YouTube algorithms, like Larry pointed out in our chat room. Alright everybody, here you go. You ready? I wanted to show you something today uh, because at our church conference this week we learned about some new AI and it's really, really cool stuff. It's like Star Trek stuff, right? Uh, Live holographic presentations that automatically change your speech into a foreign language where it's, they call it Um, oh I forgot the name of it. It has to do with I'm not even going to try. Okay so it's this AI that makes you into hologram, so you can be holographically projected into a place and then you give your speech and then the AI translates your speech into a foreign language but there's like this neuropathic link up that they do where they pattern your speech so that when the Speech is translated into another language, it's not like dubbed, right? You actually see the person, you actually see me, if it were me, you would actually see me speaking in Japanese and you would hear me speaking in Japanese in my voice with the proper Japanese intonations. Pretty crazy, huh? Talk about future for deep fake. They can make your body speak another language and then make it in your voice so it sounds like you're fluent in another language I mean that is totally 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 crazy and so I wanted you guys to to see this article that I found and uh, uh, you have to really really get. Uh, Stay up with all of this, stay up with all of this AI stuff because you've seen our shows. We've had our friend um, Patrick Wood on. He has that great book about technocracy. Okay, and this is technocracy right in front of our face. Now, I just want to mention to you some part of me gets really excited about this stuff. I I grew up on Star Trek, and part of my dream was living in the Star Trek generation, you know, seeing that kind of technology, but then realizing how it's going to be used. I mean, Star Trek, it was all, you know, utopia. Everybody loves each other. I know, you know, total, it's the total utopian socialist society. That's pretty much what Star Trek is, and probably has a lot to do with why I grew up as a hardcore socialist, but nonetheless... Uh, knowing how it's being used and then knowing Patrick Wood's book Technocracy see Patrick's premise is yes the government needs to be watched but these tech companies these tech companies are the ones who will become the tyrannical rulers I mean haven't we already seen how the corporations rule and own government how the big banks rule and own government well look at I mean, you, these tech companies have the wealth larger than countries now. Trillion dollars, trillions of dollars in wealth in these tech companies, more, more money than countries. And so you can see why Patrick Woods so long ago was talking about how uh, these tech companies are the biggest threat. And this article just really sort of, you know, hit the nail on the head, and I found it in, I found it in, uh, on Yahoo News, but it's actually a Yahoo News report about a New York Times report. So let me switch over here so you guys can see this on the web. The headline is, does this picture mean the Fourth Amendment is dead? Now let me, let me show you this. Last week, the New York Times reported on a facial recognition technology company offering law enforcement federal government agencies and companies, the ability to identify people simply by uploading a photograph. Now, I want you to think about that list. I want you to uh, think about that list of people that they they wish to serve, okay? They wanna help law enforcement, they wanna sell, let me help, whatever. They wanna sell their product, let's just be clear. They wanna sell their product to law enforcement, federal government agencies com- and companies then they will have the ability to identify people by simply uploading a photograph. Okay, Think about that as we go through this story because this is really interesting. Clearview AI has compiled more than 3 billion images 3 billion images by scanning, are you ready for this? Facebook and other platforms it analyzes uploaded facial images and returns public photos that match the photo subject along with links to where those photos appeared. ClearView service says the Times could identify activists at a protest or an attractive stranger on the subway, revealing not just their names but where they live, what they did, and who they know. I, I don't know about you guys that's just uh, it's minority I mean it's, it's every sci-fi movie gone bad that we've ever seen right running away from you know with the red light cameras this this would let me just mention to you that this really would be such a scary issue if we weren't so far down the rabbit hole already if we had been, the engaged citizenry that our founders expected us to be, we would not have, we would not have red light cameras with government paid for red light cameras. We wouldn't have government paid for CCTV cameras, okay? Because let's translate that. Government paid for means what? Our money paid for that if we're an engaged citizenry we would not be trading liberty for security we would not be letting our tax dollars be used to spy on our on on us jc always jokes when he tells people that he worked for the nsa he said i worked for the nsa when we spied for other people and not for on, on americans but that that's the way it works if we had been diligent That's why Samuel Adams said uh, no people will tamely surrender their liberties nor be easily subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved. He said, but on the contrary, when the people become universally ignorant and debauched in their manners, they will sink underneath their own weight without the aid of foreign invaders. So we, we are surrendering our liberty, but we're being easily subdued. We are easily subdued when the government can pinpoint where we are at any given moment, where they can see us, pull up our photo in a second, find out who our friends, our family members are, where we live, what we do. Combine that with the AI technology that we have, right? That we know exists, where they can make a holographic image of you that looks stinking real. I mean, this is not a cartoon image. This is a real image of you, looks real image of you. We saw it live at church. It looks real. And it even looks real when you film it. So if you film an AI image that can now be told what to say in your voice. Your face patterns match your speaking. And it can say words that you've never said in languages that you don't even speak. What will? What will... People in power do with technology like that. Seriously, this Southern Poverty Law Center would love to get people like me in front of a camera saying things that would would be just awful their frustration with me. They want to label me as a white supremacist. They want to label me as a hater. They want to label me as a, an anti-government extremist hate group, somebody who incites violence. They want to label me with that, but at the moment they can't because I, I don't believe those things and you'll never see me saying those things. But I, we get the wrong person in power People like you and me we're the ones that are going to end up in the gulag and everybody in the world is going to believe it because they're going to have videos of us saying things that we didn't say. So I'm not saying that government takes over technology. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying the government is to outlaw in 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 inventions and Ingenuity, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that we, the people, cannot allow our government to use these technologies, especially with our tax dollars. Well, I guess it would have to be I mean, Government has no other income than our tax dollars. So if we tell them, no, we don't give you permission to use this technology, we don't give you permission to have this technology, then they can't use it. They can't have it, because we won't fund it. And that's just the bottom line. So I want to share this with you because, remember, the, the list was they want to sell this to law enforcement, federal government agencies, and companies with the ability to identify people simply by uploading a photograph. Now, initially it would be like, you know, law enforcement and the federal government. That's the scariest thing, right? Well, let's read down. So here we go. So the code within the technology will allow it to integrate with augmented reality glasses, allowing someone walking down the street, perhaps, to identify each person encountered in short order. Perhaps such glasses or stationary monitors could be turned on, could be turned to alert criminal suspects, right? That's the whole, that's, that's the whole law enforcement government thing, Criminal, criminal suspects, right? You know what that is because we saw the the drones in Virginia and we heard the FBI promising. I don't know if you saw that show. You've got to see that show. The FBI promising to closely monitor all the people they identified at the Virginia rally. Now remember I told you, in order to be able to access the resources to closely monitor the people they identified... They have to officially label those people as potential domestic terrorists. Now, those people will never know it because, you know, that's secret under the national security stuff. It's secret. They can't tell you that you're you're a potential domestic terrorist. But by that label, they can now strip you of all your rights. Secretly. And use stuff like this. So let's go back. Now, the reporter for the New York Times is Cashmere Hill. And Cashmere Hill uh, is a bit of a techie. She likes this kind of stuff. Now, this is a very, very interesting investigative journalist tactic. I I want you to pay close attention because remember that list. Law enforcement, federal government, and companies, right? Who's the biggest threat? Who's going to be the biggest criminal in all of this? Well, Patrick Woods knows the answer to that question. Let's go see what Cashmere did. Clearview, the company that created this tech, was not responding to her inquiries. So, look how smart this is. She invited police officers with access to Clearview's technology to search her face. That's all she did. Hey guys. You have access to this Clearview technology. Want to do a little experiment with me? Let's see if you can find my face. Okay? So she goes to the police officers and says, Here, you have Clearview technology. Why don't you search my face? Do you know what happened when they searched her face? Well, let's look. She invited police officers with access to Clearview's technology to search her face. Then, lo and behold... Clearview contacted the police officers asking if they were talking to the media. Are you catching that? These people are already using their own tech to monitor us. She knew they were watching. She knew it would get their attention. You see, Patrick Woods would tell you it's these companies... That are going to use this to the to to trample and 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 influence and seriously, I can't even my brain can't even com- Patrick could comprehend my brain can't comprehend the height, the breadth, and the depth of all of this and the width of all of this. Seriously, but how smart we? Hey, officer, you've got Clearview technology. Search my face. Ring, ring. Oh, hey, look who it is. It's Clearview. Calling the police, not her, calling the police, asking if they were talking to the media. Why would they ask that question? They already knew the answer. Why wouldn't they just say, hey, I see you're talking to media. Stop. And what exactly would they have to say about the police department talking to media? Seriously. Does this... If, if they're giving this technology... This is how this works now. If they're giving this technology to law enforcement, is there some kind of clause within their contract that they now have to go by the marching orders of the company? They have to do what the company says in the positive and in the negative? See, these are the things... That should really concern us. Now, I want you to understand something. Clearview is not a government agent. So you can't claim Fourth Amendment violations with Clearview. You can't do it. Because a violation of your person, house's papers and effects is something that you have to understand is a limit on government not on private companies. We had this conversation when uh, we were talking about YouTube and Facebook discriminating on First Amendment. You don't have free speech rights on YouTube. You don't have free speech rights on, on Facebook or Instagram. These are private companies. with Clearview is a private company as well. But what we can do is stop our government from from cooperating and getting in you know in collusion with them I hate using that word now by the way cooperating with these companies to become total tyrants I would love to see some states create laws privacy laws that would say hey our privacy includes our personal faces. The problem is, as long as we're dumping all of our privacy on public forums, we really don't have much of an argument. Because once we make our private things a matter of public forum, you can't really claim that you have a right to privacy anymore. So it's going to have to take a choice by the people. First off, stop the government from using these things. And then secondly, stop the source. What is is important to us? Well, I'm really, really hoping that all of this will give us a great awakening as to what's really going on in government. I see more and more people waking up every single day I wanted to share a testimonial with you um, from a friend of mine she's she's always out on the streets she's always door-to-door uh, she does a lot of, of voting stuff you know getting people registered to vote and she's uh, she's my man on the street she's talking to people and she has this, this story um, that we, uh, of, of a person that she met on the street. And she went to a, a, a city fair kind of thing that we have here in Tampa. But while she was there, she had a deep conversation with a variety of young women. Mostly college students, but some were even young, beautiful women holding down to jobs. And she says, she she writes to me, this is what I learned. They are brilliant, career motivated. They all came from loving homes, um, having children. Marriage was not important, and having children was not important. Some wanted to become lawyers, college professors, and executives. They were accepting of others, non-judgmental, and diversity was important to them. Now, here's the important thing, because she's, she's giving us this background. This is what she says. They despise Bernie Sanders and progressive politics. And they, uh, they're, uh, she says they're supporters of Donald Trump and will be voting for him for the first time. For the first time in 2020, they're going to vote for Donald Trump and they are Generation Z. She says they're amazing. She says, these girls were telling me they hide from their liberal professors that they are Republicans. They told me so many of their female classmates really like the president. They told me Generation Z thinks millennials are screwed up. The girls said they're all about making money and not about paying high taxes. They don't want to give their money to someone else do you catch that they're getting it i'm telling you there is a whole counterculture out there the media wants you to think that the millennials are the 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 majority population they're a small segment that is bookended by by generations that don't support what they do millennials are a blip on the political radar they are, they are very, they're going to be sh- very short-lived and they a very short-lived power window. So what you and I need to do is make sure that we are pushing constitutional standards, that we are loud and proud being constitutionalists. We don't let them trample over us. We hold our ground. And while we hold our ground, we continue to bring up future generations in the love and education of liberty first. And then we can continue. We can, we can stay the millennials and their progress until this new generation comes up and overpowers them because they're not going to let the, their liberties be stolen. We're teaching them. JC and I have seen this all over the country. We've seen this for a decade now. These numbers are growing and growing and growing and growing. The millennial counterculture. And here's the good thing. The more the media highlights these millennials... Who are the idiot millennials. Because let me tell you what. There are plenty of countercultural millennials. So even the millennials that are highlighted in media are not the majority of their generation. They're just the ones that the fake news, fake news. They're the ones the fake news highlights. And the more the news highlights this, this degenerate generation the more the counterculture steps forward and speaks out there is hope and it's right on our heels and i'll tell you the hope exists within you and me because we still have the power i'll tell you again we are the reason that the democrats feign love for the constitution and the founding fathers We are the reason. The fact that we have been relentless, we have been consistent, and we have been principled for 10 years now. We are the reason. We have been uh, consistent in our stance for the Constitution. We've been deliberate in taking back the narrative to preach liberty and originalism. That's why they have to feign that. Because they recognize, I hope that I can help you see this, they recognize the power that we have. They would not be changing their speech. They would not be changing their positions if they were not fearing the power we have and the power that we're exercising. Ten years I've been watching this stuff. I mean, I was reading court cases before then, but in the last 10 years, I can't tell you how many times I've seen justices on the state and federal level quote the Federalist Papers, and now they're starting to quote the Anti-Federalists? Come on now, people. That didn't happen by accident. That happened on purpose. That happened because we took back the narrative. Now, they won't come out and say that, but it's the truth. And they won't come out and give us credit. And that's okay. I'm not looking for credit. I'm looking for my son to live in a constitutional republic where he possesses liberty. That's what I'm looking for. Will I ever get, the, will I ever get on TV again? I don't know. Will I ever be considered an expert by the talking heads? Who knows? I get my my reward by watching them change the way they speak because I know it's you, it's me, it's us who have changed the way they talk. They don't want to talk like that. My goodness, you saw Nancy Pelosi. Hey. Talk the way she talks whenever she mentions the Constitution and James Madison. She has to like plaster a smile on her face because she despises those words. She despises those people. You can't make somebody like Nancy Pelosi say some things like that if there isn't some driving force behind it. And we're that force. We are that force. And so I just want you guys to just just keep up the good work. We have momentum. Don't let it go. Come on now. Six years ago, Virginia, what happened in Virginia would have never happened. I'm serious. Six years ago, what happened in Virginia would have never happened. What's disappointing to me, if you look at the big picture, is how much credit Donald Trump gets for all of this. Yes, he's a big influence because of the position that he holds and and the relentless nature that he just snaps back. But snapping back doesn't put the Constitution in people's mouths. Snapping back doesn't make them quote James Madison and Alexander Hamilton and refer to Federalist 65. That's not what snapping back does. Donald Trump doesn't talk about the Constitution. Donald Trump doesn't quote Alexander Hamilton. That's not Donald Trump who gets the credit for that. That's you. That's us. We're doing that. So keep doing that. Because that's what we need to do. I ran across this the other day. You know that JC and I are big uh, U- UFC fans, huge UFC fans And I know that Joe Rogan has his own podcast And I know that many of you have been begging Joe Rogan to have me on his show And I, you know, Joe Rogan is, is a socialist, right? Joe Rogan is a socialist Oh, come on, Washington Times Alright, so Joe Rogan fa- is is a Bernie Sanders supporter and he fails to see, according to the Washington Times, the insanely consistent failures of socialism. All right? Now, I want to get a copy of this book to Joe Rogan. I want to get this to him, this book, Socialism Under the Microscope. Now, I, I, I posted this on YouTube, I tagged Joe Rogan, I want to get this video, this book into his hands. Now, I'm not just going to mail out some book to some publicist or whatever. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Because I, I got. I'd rather send you guys a copy of the book than just send it off to some ether somewhere. But if anybody out there knows how I can definitely get a copy of this book into Joe Rogan's hands, i i don't uh, whether he reads it or not will be on him but i want it in his hands then i'm going to do that because joe is a powerful voice and i believe he's a good guy but he needs to know the truth and he needs to get on the right side and that's how we get to other people This we keep fighting we keep going we keep teaching i'm a teacher at heart sometimes i think to my own detriment because you see i'm always trying to, to teach people and sometimes people don't want to be taught. it makes me it makes me talk too much sometimes <laughs> as she says as she has her own podcast five days a week, right <laughs> So I just you know if I want to help people I have I believe in my heart that God has given me, this gift to help people, a desire, a burning desire in my heart. That is my purpose. My purpose is to bring liberty to people who are deceived, to free the deceived from the deception. Why is that my purpose? Because I suffered from that. I was covered in the deception. I was, I was oppressed by the deception. I went out oppressing, attempting to oppress other people. And now my purpose is to free them, and I'm recruiting you. <laughs> I am recruiting you, and I just I want to stop for just one second and say thank you, Tom Hall, for your super chat supporting me. He sent me this. I don't know if you guys I you know if I put this over on the web, you guys can see this. Look at this. Uh, oh no, you can't see it. Let's see if I can move it over. There you go. Oh, there it is. Ready? Look at that. Oh man. There we go. I'll get it. There you go. Hey, Tom Hall, you are amazing. Look at that. (laughs) The little emoji thing. Anyway, I I thank you guys for all your support and, and what you do to support Liberty because that's what you are. You are Liberty First supporters. That's why we came up with that name, Liberty First Brigade. You are the Liberty First Brigade. Exit uh, Eagle, thank you for your support too. Woohoo, look at that. Yay, you guys are so awesome. So, anybody, help me get this in Joe Rogan's hands. Now, the last story that I want to cover with you today has to do with the courts. And anytime you deal with the courts, sometimes the subject matter can be a little bit confusing. So, I want to break this down as simple as possible. The bottom line here is that uh, the Department of Justice has told the federal courts to go fly a kite. Uh, And and the story is just sort of uh, puzzling. Really, really puzzling. So, I came across this story uh, from Forbes. A guy named Eric Sherman, which... uh, Oh, I need to tell you that story, too. Eric Sherman, you can see it up here on YouTube. Eric Sherman wrote an article, Another Day, Another Nail in the Coffin of the Constitution. Okay? And... He's a contributor, and he's a personal finance guy, which is always peculiar to me when these personal finance guys uh, step out and want to talk about constitutional matters. Ooh, hello. Hey, I, I just thought of something. Eric Sherman, the financial guy, talking about the Constitution is because we're making him talk about the Constitution. These people want to step outside of their wheelhouse Because how do they make money? They write things about what people want to read. Why do they want to write about the Constitution? Because we're making people want to read about the Constitution. (claps) Hallelujah. (laughs) There you go. You gotta look, I'm not a Pollyanna, I don't walk around with, with rosy glasses, but I do know how to find the victories. I do know how to find the encouragement. Look. When you read story after story in history about people like James Otis Jr., oh my goodness, standing the midwife to liberty, the man who stood first alone publicly in defiance of a monarchy. And then see how you you don't, until you get to 1776, you don't actually realize his victory in 1761. 15 years to see that victory. But if James Otis Jr. hadn't taken the stand that he did in 1761, we wouldn't have had a 1766, a 1776. We wouldn't have had a committees of correspondence. We wouldn't have had a Sons of Liberty. We wouldn't have had we wouldn't have the people standing up. We wouldn't have had the Boston Tea Party. We wouldn't have had Penelope Barker's Tea Party. We wouldn't have had the Boston Massacre because the people wouldn't have been educated. They wouldn't have been united. They wouldn't have been standing for liberty. They wouldn't have been defying the government. Woohoo! Hallelujah. See, I'm just encouraged. I wanna encourage you today. Tell me you're encouraged. Let me give you a little bit of encouraging word too. Uh, that word encouragement, to encourage, that's not just about a cheerleader. That's not Chris Ann standing up here going, woo, yeah. That word encourage means to infuse courage. To infuse with courage. That's what encourage means, to infuse with courage. Now you guys know I'm a, my background is in biochemistry. And uh, I know that to infuse something is to saturate it at its cellular level. So when I say that I want to encourage you, I actually mean that. I want to infuse to the cellular level the courage to take a stand for liberty. That's why we're here, and that's why we get excited. We are so, oh man, yes, I'm so excited about today. I mean, this is just awesome. I know they have AI to search us. I know they have. Uh, feel like they have an unlimited power, but our wisdom and knowledge is growing, and we're stepping up, and we're stepping back. It's pushing them back, and we will have the victory. Thank you, Primal Rage. I got it, didn't I? Did I get that right, Primal Rage? Thank you for all you do. Uh, you guys are awesome. More support from Primal Rage. Uh, i you know what, this, this, <laughs> this, um, this super chat thing encourages me. <laughs> it's like it's like somebody giving me uh, a treat every now and again, and I appreciate that very much. So let me talk about this article, so you guys can see this, because this is a court thing. Now, Eric Sherman, let me put you back over to the web. Eric Sherman is a personal finance guy who wants to talk about the Constitution. Anyway, (laughs) sorry, do I sound silly? JC would probably be rolling his eyes at me. He probably is rolling his eyes at me in the next room. But I want you to see this, all right? And so, he says, those worried about the Constitution, particularly those who claim that the courts have eviscerated it because they don't get the results they like, should pay attention. Now, I actually personally contacted Eric Sherman over Twitter. um, Because, I I think here at the bottom, I don't know, uh, Eric Sherman obviously has stepped outside of his wheelhouse, so I'm not going to hold it against him that he's got the wrong perspective on this, okay? But I contacted him personally on Twitter and publicly on Twitter, and I said, Hey, Mr. Sherman, I'd like to talk to you about your article, Another Day, Another Nail in the Coffin of the Constitution, because I think you might be missing a very important constitutional point. And so let me tell you about this article. So Eric Sherman talks about this. A Mexican citizen, uh, it's a court case of Jorge Baez Sanchez, okay? If you're watching here on YouTube, there it is. Jorge Baez Sanchez. Jorge Baez Sanchez is a Mexican citizen looking for a visa to stay in the United States. Now, why is he not staying in the United States? Because he is considered inadmissible because of a conviction uh, for aggravated battery of a police officer. Okay? So, according to federal law, you cannot get a visa in the United States if you are a been convicted of certain felonies. In this case Jorge Baez Sanchez was convicted in the United States because remember this is a visa to stay because he was convicted of aggravated battery on a police officer and now he's inadmissible according to the law now Baez Sanchez asked the Department of Homeland Security for a special type of visa called a U visa which allows admissible aliens who have been victims of certain crimes to remain. All right, so right now, we should know by reading that sentence that he's already ineligible for this special type of visa because he is inadmissible due to his conviction for aggravated battery. Now, the crazy part is, He's convicted of aggravated battery on a police officer and he is claiming he's the victim of a crime, so he should be able to have this special type of visa. Now, I don't... I could not find the criminal history of this guy. So, I I don't know why he's able to say, I'm the victim of a crime, but I've also been convicted of a crime. I, I don't get that. And at what point does the conviction of a uh, does the victim of status of a crime outweigh the conviction of a different crime right i mean what if he was the victim in a in a gang related fight right so he's the victim of a crime where he was involved in a gang fight I'm not, just, I'm not saying he's a gang member, right? I'm just, it's just a hypothetical. Because as a prosecutor, I'm wondering what kind of scenario puts you in a situation where you're convicted of aggravated battery on a police officer, but you can also claim to be a victim of another crime. You see, most people in the world never tangle with police officers. Most people. Those people who tangle with a police officer... In the majority, we'll, may, we'll probably only do it once. But when you have repeated entanglements with law and crime, there's a, usually a pretty good indication that there's something wrong in your environment. You're hanging with the wrong crowd. You're, you're, you're in the wrong vocation. Something is wrong you keep getting arrested if you keep getting involved with crimes and let me tell you what if you you are a victim one day and a criminal another day that's a pretty good indication you're hanging with the wrong people okay so this is just my former prosecutor brain trying to connect some dots So at what point does being a victim override the fact that you're convicted of this kind of felony crime? Not to mention the fact that you're not a citizen of the United States, so you're not entitled to be here in the first place. You're you're an alien who has been convicted of a violent crime. Okay, We're not talking about stealing bread because he's hungry. We're talking about a violent crime. So now here's what happens. The immigration department says no. The Board of Immigration says no, you you can't have this special visa. And so Jorge appeals this decision. Jorge appeals the decision, and the judge ordered the waiver to be issued. Now the judge did not deny, did not hold in favor of the appeal and remand back to the board. Of immigration the judge just simply said I will grant your waiver well the Board of uh, Immigration Appeals uh, uh, sent another uh, sent the case back asking the judge to consider additional issues and she did and then reaffirmed and gave this alien who is convicted of a violent crime a waiver that belongs only in the hands of people who are who are actually victims of a crime okay so here's the thing we have to make sure we understand what's happening before we can actually make an educated decision He is convicted of a crime, aggravated battery on a police officer. is a violent crime. He is also inadmissible by law. Why is it that a judge can refuse the law and grant a, a, a visa waiver to someone who isn't even supposed to be here? Well, here's the crazy thing. I'm going to show you the court case now. This is the Seventh Circuit Court's opinion. So it went to the Seventh Circuit Court, and the Seventh Circuit Court told the Department of Justice, "You have to actually follow the lower, the the um, the immigration court's opinion." Did I forget to mention that? Okay. So this is not an actual court. This is an immigration court. An immigration court, let me put this up here. An immigration judge under 1003.10 are attorneys that the attorney general appoints as administrative judges within the office of chief immigration judge to conduct specific classes of proceedings. So this is an area of law that we call administrative law. These are not actual courts. These are administrative courts. And that's how they get around the law. They're not bound by law. They're bound by policy and procedure. And we see this happening all over the the administrative courts. I actually uh, have taught courses on how the administrative law courts are a completely unconstitutional, unconstitutionally established judicial entity. And these unconstitutionally established judicial entities, these administrative law courts are established to circumvent the constitution and to circumvent the laws, okay? So, what we have now are these courts which makes this whole thing really really weird right so these judges work for the Attorney General okay these judges work for the Attorney General they are appointed by the Attorney General uh, and they are working only in immigration so what you have which is very interesting is you have judges appointed by the Attorney General telling the the uh, Immigration Board, who also works for the Attorney General, how to do their job. It's completely incestuous, completely, completely insular. The whole thing is totally corrupt. And so now it goes outside the administrative law courts, and it goes, uh, It goes beyond this understanding of how these courts are supposed to work. So now you have a judge issuing waivers instead of deciding the law. Because that's not their job. They're just somehow quasi-agents. Now I want to show you what this court, what the Seventh Circuit said. Because what has happened is the Department of Justice has said to the immigration court. No, you're wrong. You are misapplying this law. The law is clear. Number one, he has committed a violent crime and therefore he is ineligible, period. That's not our rule. That is a statute created by the legislators of the United States. Remember, we have the Constitution delegating authority to Congress to make the uniform rule of naturalization. And in that constitutionally delegated authority, Congress has said, you cannot have a visa to become a citizen in the United States if you have committed a violent crime. That's part of the uniform rule of naturalization, period. And so what we have now is the court saying, we're not going to follow this constitutionally established law. Notice that they didn't find the law unconstitutional. They did not. The law itself was not under question. Is it unconstitutional to deny people with, com- uh, with convictions of violent crimes, visas? That was not the question. The question was, should this guy get a visa even though he's committed a violent crime? The law says no. So the judge's obligation is not to rewrite the law, but to follow the law. And the Department of Justice and the Immigration Department says no. You're not, your job is not to write the law, judge. Your job is to follow the law. If we're not following the law, it's your job to, inf- to to show us our error and give us the opinion that says, hey this is not this is the law you have to follow it this way. They didn't do that. they didn't judge the law they didn't say anything about the law they just simply denied the law and issued the waiver. And so the Seventh Circuit Court is just beside themselves because, the Department of Justice has said, no, I'm sorry, you're wrong, um, and we're not going to follow your opinion. Let me show you what they said, and then I'll like, show you why, in this case, the Department of Justice is actually correct. They said, the Seventh Circuit said, what happened next beggars belief. The Board of Immigration Appeals wrote, on the basis of a footnote in a letter the Attorney General issued after our opinion, that our decision is incorrect. Instead of addressing the issues we speci- we specified, the board repeated a theme of its prior decision that the secretary has the sole power to issue U visas, and therefore should have the sole power to decide whether to waive inadmissibility. The board did not rely on any statute, uh, regulation, or reorganization plan transferring the waiver power under from the attorney general to the secretary. Nor did the board uh, discuss whether the aliens outside the United States may apply for relief under this, okay? So they're complaining that the board is saying to the court, you're wrong. Now, all the argument that the court has here about, oh, they didn't do this, they didn't do that, whatever, is all red herring. It's the argument that the court brought up to cover up for the fact that they're not following the law. So, that, so all of their argument is just completely to distract you from the fact that the court is not following the law that says if you've committed a violent crime you are inadmissible. Can I just repeat that? The law says if you've committed a violent crime you are inadmissible. Period. It's not up to the court to change that law whether they like it or not. It's, not, it's up to the court to, dis, to tell the, the agency what the law is and how they have to follow it. They didn't do any of that. Now let's look at what this says because this is just, this is absolutely stunning. We have, uh, in sum, the board flatly refused to implement our decision. Baez Sanchez has filed a second petition for review. We have never before encountered defiance of a remand order, and we hope to never see it again. Members of the board must count themselves lucky that Baez Sanchez has not asked us to hold them in contempt with all the consequences that possibility entails. The board seems to think that we had issued an advisory opinion, and that faced with the conflict between our views and those of the Attorney General, it should follow the latter. But it should be not it should not be necessary to remind the board, all of whose members are lawyers, that the judicial power under Article Three of the Constitution is one to make conclusive decisions not to subject disapproval, not oh I'm sorry, not subject to disapproval or revision by any other branch of government. That's is judicial supremacy summed up in its finest. They claim that Article 3 of the Constitution makes them the ultimate authority challenged by no one. This is the problem. This is the problem. what kind of check and balance exists on the judicial branch when they can claim that there is no check and balance oh they'll tell you oh well you can appeal our decision so we go to the courts to ask the courts what the courts say come on people every single one of our founders declared that in one form or another, that ideology of judicial supremacy, ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. Thomas Jefferson said, if you adopt that kind of mentality, then the Constitution means nothing. It's absolutely just a mold in the hands of the judiciary, to a clay to be molded in the hands of judiciary however they want. However they want. So look, I want you to see this. The tyranny of this thought. Okay? I'm going to go you back here again. Alright. Yet it should not be necessary to remind the board, all of whose members are lawyers, that the judicial power under Article 3 of the Constitution is one to make conclusive decisions not not subject to disapproval or revision by another branch of government and here's their proof of that. Not the Constitution. But a case. A Supreme Court case. See see the court. We, the court, said this is our opinion. We acted under statutory grant of authority to review the board's decision. Okay, you reviewed it. And you were wrong. So the executive branch says, okay, you're wrong. We're not going to follow you. Here's the crazy thing. I want to show you this. This is just nuts. Okay, absolutely nuts. Listen to what this says. We have never before encountered defiance of a remand order, and we hope to never see it again. Members of the board must count themselves lucky by as Sanchez has not asked us to hold them in contempt with all the consequences that possibility entails. Please, please, do tell. What, what exactly are those consequences, judges? What exactly are the consequences of contempt? I want to know that. Because you see, here's the crazy thing about contempt. The judge holds no sword. The judge holds no gun. The judge holds no authority to enforce his opinions whatsoever. That's why we're, we're seeing this. The judge holds no authority to enforce his opinions. He relies on the executive branch to enforce his opinions. So what exactly kind of contempt is he gonna issue on the executive branch that the executive branch is going to enforce upon itself? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just asking for a friend. Because in order for the judge to issue a contempt order, he has to issue a contempt order to the executive branch and to enforce the contempt order. And so if the contempt order is, in for, is issued to the executive branch to be enforced upon the executive branch, how exactly is that going to work? Paper tiger. Here's what I want you to see. Here is what I want you to see. This is the essential check and balance on court authority. See, so they're claiming they have no check and balance. They, I mean, they have the audacity to say we've never encountered defiance or remand of order. We hope to never see it again. Oh, the impudence, the impudence of these people to say that they don't have to follow our opinions. I love this. They seem to think that that we just issued an advisory opinion. Every stinking opinion is an advisory opinion. It's an opinion, not a law. Everything that comes from the bench is an opinion. Everything that comes from the court is an advisory opinion. It is not law. It does not have the force of law. And that's where we have been deceived for 176 years. And that's what you can thank Joseph Story for. The creation of this, of this judicial oligarchy. Joseph Story, we, 97% of the American, I won't say, okay, let's say, 82%, well, I'll be nice. 82% of the American population would not misunderstand Marbury versus Madison if it hadn't been for Joseph Story. Marbury versus Madison never ever said that the courts issue laws. Marbury versus Madison never said that the courts ru- courts opinions hold the force of law. Marbury versus Madison never said that the courts have the authority to determine the meaning and end of the con- of the constitution. They never said that. Marbury versus Madison never said neither 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 we said therefore it is therefore go home and shut up. Marbury v. Madison never said that, yet that's what practically uh, every judge, with the exception of a few that are enlightened, lawyer, politician, pundit, professor, teaches, preaches, and believes that the courts are the supreme rulers of the universe, and that is not true. And because I'm saying this out loud probably means that the Bar Association is never going to let me practice law again. But we'll... We'll see. We'll hold them to their integrity. Because I'm just speaking truth. And you need to speak the truth too. So when I contacted Mr. Sherman via Twitter and asked him to contact me, it was because I wanted to show him that there is a valid check and balance principle here. Essential to the preservation of liberty. Number one, judges don't write law. Number two, judges don't hold the force to enforce their laws. Number three, judges issue opinions, not rulings, not dictates, not decrees. And their opinions can be checked and balanced. That's when Jefferson was talking about the co-equal powers in government. Not that they were power was equally distributed among the branches, but that they had a co-equal authority check and balance. The way we teach things today, you would think that the judiciary has no check. There is no check but itself. That is not true. How does the executive check the judiciary? They say, no, we're not following your opinion. And that's that. And that's how it's supposed to work. So we have to make sure that we, the people, understand the principles of liberty, the essential checks and balances, and how this is supposed to work. So I don't know if anybody knows how to get in touch with um, Mr. Sherman. I've tried. Don't forget I want to get a book to Joe Rogan. But I want to make sure that we understand, did I do that good? Did I do that well enough, do you understand? That if there is no check on the court but themselves, and if the court can say we have this power because we say so, I mean when, when somebody says the court has the authority to do this and then they quote a court case, that's what we call circular logic. Courts cannot empower themselves Even Marbury versus Madison says that you cannot amend the Constitution via law. That anything contrary to the Constitution is not valid. And that would include court opinions. So court court authority justified by nothing more than court opinions is simply, simply despotism. And that's what we need to understand. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope we've had a good time. It's been a little bit longer of a show than I usually have, but these were pretty interesting, heavy topics today. And so uh, I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Thank everybody for your stand for liberty. Remember, liberty is freedom plus morality. And if men were angels, we wouldn't need government, but we need to have Uh, um, a a way to deal with the immoral population. That's our class on uh, the origin of liberty, if you want to understand that one. Uh, We have uh, a need of little government, lots of liberty, but in order to have little government and lots of liberty, you must be able to self-govern. So, um, thank you guys. Thank you for everybody in the chat room. I see that there was a pretty passionate thing going on. hope you guys didn't get distracted by the conversation in the chat room and you got to hear a bit of liberty and truth and principle. Thank you, Tara, for uh, paying attention to your children's education. Thank you for uh, being liberty-minded. And we need people that will want to check the power. Because that's what we're supposed to be doing. God bless you guys. Liberty over security. Principle over party. And truth over personality. Forever. God bless.